0: The DLC, especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to work off some of your holiday eating. We're going to power you through 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable conversation for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that's completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Foot Cardigan and Fireside. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show. All about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And this is a very different episode. You know that DLC is always your downloadable Canada and your downloadable Christian. But this week, DLC stands for Dialogues Loosely Combined and Dedication of a Lovely Christmas. Because this is a, a little bit of a holiday departure for us. Christian and I are both traveling this week and uh, seeing our families and celebrating the holidays. So this is a collection of what would normally be bonus content. Lot, uh, It's a full episode, a lot of cool stuff. We're going to kick it off with Christian and I talking about my hands-on time with Resident Evil and some of the games that he's been playing, like the new content for Forza Horizon and Overwatch Holiday Pack and all kinds of cool stuff. And then we transition into some one-on-one interviews that Christian and I did. Uh, he's got he's got an interview with a sound designer. I have uh, some VR talk and some tabletop time. Lots of really cool content coming at you. But it's all recorded early, so no story of the week this week. And uh, we will be back uh, the next week with a, uh, a big year-end roundup with our best games of 2016. It should be good stuff. I hope you enjoy... This holiday edition, I hope you're having a great holiday with your family. We certainly appreciate you spending some time hanging out with us and listening to DLC. I think you're going to like these interviews. So let's get right to it right now. Christian Spicer, Merry Christmas.
1: Oh, I mean, you celebrated a week early, so I guess so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think as people are listening to it, uh, the the holidays are happening. Um, I guess this is know. our
1: episode before because the next one is like the day after, right? Yeah, yeah. Christmas is on a I don't know what is it on a Sunday
0: Sunday this week? Yeah, this, this year. Anyway, um, yeah, we're we're recording this early, and uh, we'll be all you know celebrated by the next time we reconvene. But uh, I just want to wish you happy holidays, man. Thank you. You too. Um, big week of gaming. I got a chance to go to a uh, a special one-hour sneak preview of Resident Evil 7 um, that was pretty cool. It was hands-on. It was me in a room uh, by myself with, with the game. Not in VR. This So was a- it
1: wasn't face-on or whatever, that dumb no. thing you try to make uh- – get your face on it
0: hands on I was only hands on (laughs) Uh, my eyeballs were 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 not on anything they were just looking um yeah and I, i i don't have a sense of whether or not you're excited for resident evil 7 or not
1: I don't know if I have that sense either. I am a huge Resident Evil fan. Uh I believe it's like on probably God, I don't even know, six years ago now, on a weekend confirmed. I know Garnet and I had a gush fest over, you know, the much maligned nemesis and, and some of the other games and the GameCube versions of those games and Resident Evil 4 is incredible. Five and six, I think, are justifiably poo-pooed on. Um and, and then seven is this it's this unknown at this point. I've seen demos. I've done some VR demos, but I still don't know what the heck the game is. So hopefully you can, you can tell me cause it's soon.
0: Yeah, it's really soon. It's January 21st, I think, something like that. 28th, something like that. It's coming out, you know, first, first month of the new year. Um, what is it that you like about resident evil? I mean, what, what's, what about the series? Is it that, that you like, do you like the military sort of paramilitary response to zombies kind of fiction Um, do you like the puzzles? Do you like, what is it that, and and which is your favorite?
1: Uh, uh resident evil remastered and resident evil 4 are my two favorite resident evils and they're for different things right resident evil 4 i like because it did what i'm hoping god of war ps4 does you know it it took some of the stalwarts from the franchise and then put them on their head and reinvented this franchise in a fun exciting way but it still felt like a true entry to the series Mm -hmm. um and then remaster was such a beautiful game and updating of such a classic and the tension that both of those games provide resident evil 4 with its you know slow shooting mechanic like it was not resident evil tank controls but it's still like you get in a corner with some villagers coming at you like it's getting tense right yeah and then the way that they had that tension in in the original resident evils too with the move and shoot and the jump scares and for me that's kind of what makes it fun and then combined with the increasingly self-aware uh wink at some of the ridiculousness that's happening like to me that's resident evil
0: well, this game is very much not any of that. And, uh, <laughs> it's it's crazy. I didn't really know what to expect from it either because um, even having played the demos that are out now, those aren't the game. Like those aren't even in the game. They aren't, they aren't demos from the game. There are, there are you know things that were made specifically to demo this new kind of first person hmm. thing but I actually played an hour straight from the game that I, evidently is an hour into the game. So I didn't see the beginning <laughs> of the game. Okay. Uh, because I guess there's a bunch of big spoilers in the big first hour of the game that they didn't want. You and know, I'm not going to
1: first um, act spoilers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not going to spoil anything, uh, that I saw cause there are definitely some puzzles I solved and some,
1: they already spoiled it. it. When I opened up that pot in VR, they spoiled it themselves. That was <laughs> disgusting.
0: Um, yeah, it's first person. Uh, it's very much putting the resident back in Resident Evil because you are you are in a home, right? You're in a place, um, and you're trying. It's it's very much like a um, like a Saw movie or a having as someone who's literally never seen a Saw movie. But it's my sense of what those kind you of movies haven't seen. Are. I've never seen a Saw movie. No, I have no desire.
1: So let me. Yeah, you asked me about Resident Evil. What's your take on horror?
0: Um. I have a very it's it's an interesting question because I have a very strange relationship with horror in general. The the greatest of the genre is some of my favorite movies. I mean, The Orphanage and um I'll Let the Right One In and, you know, some of the some of these great horror movies of the last few years are were on my top 10 lists, right? And uh I've never been a huge fan of horror video games. I mean, I like – I've always liked the Resident Evil series, but they never were really horror. They were more like, um, you know, adventure games with a – set in a horror universe. Uh, This one is very much a horror game. This is very much a – it's going to creep you out. It's going to scare you. I was squirming in my seat playing this hour, uh, and I wasn't even in VR yet. I mean, in VR, I think it's going to be even more intense. But I I came away very impressed with Hmm. this game, very impressed Um, they are doing things in this game that I've never really done before in a video game. It is very cinematic. It's very, um, it puts you in a situation and rather than making the, for lack of a better word, zombies, right? Resident Evil is about zombies, but I don't know. I don't know the story about what's going on with these characters, but they're kind of zombie-ish. They're the antagonists, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, it's this family whose home you're in, uh, and you're, you know, trying to get out of, um, they are not typical video game, uh, antagonists. They're not like, okay, get enough ammo, shoot them, move on to the next bad guy. Right. It's you're dealing with them. And almost in the dealing with them is a puzzle. It's, um, there's a sequence, at the very beginning of the portion that I played where I'm trying to break into a certain part of the house and avoid uh, a member of the household while doing it. And I died, I don't know, three times in the in the course of doing it. And each time that I redid it, events played out completely differently. Were those, and the,
1: was that frustrating? Like you couldn't figure it out or was it enjoyable? No, I do.
0: It was frustrating because I knew exactly what I had to do, and it was challenging because the the way that I was being hunted through the house was very intense. Mm. And the character felt smarter than most video game characters are. Maybe smarter is the wrong word. I think that conjures up a lot of sort of AI discussions that this game might not live up to. It, it, it's not that it felt smarter. It felt more challenging. It, it felt more like – I was no sense of whether he could see when he could see me and when he couldn't. And I felt very, um, vulnerable at all times. And, but the crazy thing is like, there were a couple of moments where, you know, I was able to avoid him and then he would, he would find me and track me down and kill me. There was a couple of times where I went through the same sequence and then he would like bust through a wall Hmm. that I didn't see coming. And he hadn't ever done that before. Um, so it, it was, it played out really wildly differently and it was, it was frustrating because I felt very, um, helpless, but I think that's exactly the feeling the game wants to to make you, you know, feel is they, it, you feel like a person in a movie that is in that situation. Like even when you find weaponry, the weaponry is pretty useless because of how scared you are, how, difficult it is to deal in that situation like the the, it's hard for me to explain it without being without having any spoilers but there are like the way you deal with that situation you are not a capable paramilitary operative right you are a terrified person in a scary situation wildly shooting trying to not die and it's harrowing it's harrowing but that is even the even the, the coolest part. It, as the as the sequence that I played progressed, it more and more became story based and progression based and um, sort of a, a, just an ongoing puzzle. Like how how do I get myself out of this situation? And the encounter, the fights per se, were puzzles in and of themselves. And I found that to be really interesting and really different and like huge cinematic moments that i'm not going to spoil but were eye-popping and incredible and had me exclaiming in this little office in the middle of the day how did it
1: look visually
0: very good yeah it's really good looking game i thought um you know it's dark it's uh uh it's it's not a big open world you know it's not you are confined in very tight spaces but everything has a lot of detail you're finding things i mean it's very resident evil in the sense that you know only a few things are operable you open them you find them they pop up in fully 3d you can rotate them in your view you know it's got all those trappings of the early early games the early resident evil games uh, and there are, you know, there are puzzles like find a piece to put into a hole to unlock a door. Um, and there are other even more clever puzzles that I encountered in this short period. Um, so I like that. I really love the puzzle solving stuff. And, you know, that first Resident Evil, like you were in a house and you were trying to figure out how to get to, to places. And they're kind of harkening back to that. That You know, there's a sequence where you like get into the upper area of, of the mansion and or not mansion. It's a large house, very dilapidated. Um, and the doors all have like weird animals nailed to them, you know, it's very creepy, very disturbing. And the interactions that you have with the characters inside that house are really not anything like I've had in a in a video game. I it actually reminds me more of Condemned. Remember that old Xbox yeah, game? It was great. Condemned? Yeah. It reminded me more of that, um, than it did a Resident Evil game in a very good way. Like I really dug those games. The first contempt especially was, was really cool.
1: Yeah. I did, uh, at least 20 more minutes about horror video games. It was, it was incredibly revolutionary, especially for when it came out, like the brutality of the melee combat and then and, like waiting for those things to get close to you was something new and exciting. It was a very exciting franchise when it launched. I'm curious, like, do you see, you know, putting on your, um, prediction hat or whatever, based on past experiences, like how, how does this become a 12 hour game?
0: I don't know. I, I'm very curious about that myself. I don't know if they have to keep you in that house the whole time. I mean, the house was large and there were a lot of doors that I never got access to in my playtime. Um, so I'm sure there are secrets and surprises behind a lot of those doors and how you get into them is going to be interesting and, you know, puzzly. But the whole point is like, get out of the house. And if I can't get out of the house for 12 hours, I don't, or eight hours or whatever the length of the game is. I don't know. I don't know.
1: You know, I feel like that has to be a misdirect or something where like you find the basement and then you end up in the paramilitary complex. Right. I mean, that's where my head goes. Like at some point, like Resident Evil one, even for as cheesy as it was at the time, even with its full motion video. And it's, uh, I was going to be a jail sandwich Mm, sandwich or whatever yeah. the dialogue was in that. Um, it, I mean, it even got ridiculous for its own standards. It starts very grounded. You're looking for a lost squad, mate. You're in this room. And then all of a sudden you're in a lab and, you know, all, there's all these crazy experiments going on. And this mansion's not a mansion. And it's this. And there's an elevator. And then you have a rocket right. launcher. And it, and it goes crazy. Um,
0: maybe. Maybe they go there. Uh, I, would, I would actually be genuinely surprised if that happens because just the tone and the feel of this game is very different. Um, there's a moment... Uh, this isn't, I won't spoil anything, but there's a moment where you like, there's a cop that comes up to the window and you can't get out the window and you, he can't get in and you're talking to him and it doesn't feel like a cop from a resident evil game. If, you know, it doesn't feel like, um, uh, what you know, Jill or whatever, mm-hmm, you know, right, or yeah. Leon or, you know, <laughs> it feels like, um, um. It feels like that moment in the movie Clue where the cop comes to the door and everybody's like – he just does not understand that there's any danger in there at all. you know. And you're like, no, seriously, this is some messed up stuff happening in here. And the guy's like, yeah, calm down, fella. And it's like, no, you don't understand. It's really you – know? <laughs> um, it feels like a movie. It feels like one of those horror movies where all you need is just somebody to understand that you're in intense danger and there's somebody behind you at any moment and you're completely helpless. And even when you have – You know, weapons in this game, at least in the section I saw, you you do not feel empowered by that weapon. You feel very helpless still. And I think that feeling is pretty incredible because video games, for the most part, are all about making you feel empowered and making you be able to mow through enemies. And the idea that there doesn't have to be just tons of zombie fodder for you to have this moment-to-moment interaction is a pretty... Interesting take, you know, like the the times you encounter a quote unquote zombie, at least in this section, and maybe it changes, but at least in this section, were really intense, really unique, and really um, made one bad guy feel completely terrifying.
1: That's awesome. I'm glad to see them taking a risk with the franchise because I do feel like it had become stagnant on this action shooter thing and the games, in my opinion, got increasingly worse with that kind of direction as they kind of tried to build off what they saw the success of Resident Evil 4 uh was. I'm curious and this, like if they're following now. And I hope it's great. I, I am very hopeful for this game. But it seems like, you know, they're very much looking at what is hot in horror games right now. Because, you know, you talk about video games are often about empowerment. The horror genre hasn't been that way probably for five years now. You know, whenever Slender Man and those kind of games started coming out, like the genre has very much been about you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. good luck, you little wuss um we're gonna give you stuff but it's gonna break <laughs> and right. you better run and you're in constant fear the whole time and i can only play for 20 minutes and then i play two hours of it And i'm like this is the best game i've ever played i can never play this game again oh god
0: <laughs> yeah and i guess that's true i guess I'm, there's been more of that than maybe i've i recognize because i don't <laughs> like playing those <laughs> those all those Slenderman games and stuff i, I just am such a, a little weenie! I don't. I have no desire to put myself through that.
1: They're terrifying. Late at yeah. night, headphones on. They're terrifying.
0: Uh, oh, and that's another thing that this game does really, really well uh, is sound. I mean, every footstep is loud, and you're just like, please make less noise. Please less, make less. <laughs> I was playing with um, you know noise canceling headphones in this office, and it, every creak, every and you, you'll hear the guy in the other part of the thing going. I'm looking for you. You know, and it's like, Oh Jesus. Um, Oh, it's just, it's really, really, unnerving the 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 sound design that i experienced
1: did you sign any waivers before you play this are we going to see the night cam footage of you playing this in the <laughs> commercial was like truly terrifying and it's you just letting out a scream
0: <laughs> it, i mean they kept laughing at me um because i was definitely you know squealing but it was literally the <laughs> middle of the day in broad sunlight it was like one o'clock in the afternoon in bright sunlight in the, in the, in the, in the, so it was still terrifying um But yeah, I mean, I came away very encouraged. I I really wasn't sure. I was excited about it because of the VR aspect. Like, oh, it's be kind of cool to play this game in VR. But I really wasn't even sure whether to be excited about this Resident Evil. And I'm much more excited now than I was before I played it. So
1: yeah, I feel like this game, it has an uphill battle. It's like they've shown a lot but not a lot of the game per se like we've been aware of the game we've seen footage of demos for the game but not like necessarily the game yeah and it's really close to coming out so i'm excited that they kind of did this hands-on preview for people and hopefully we'll hear you know more about it because i I, it's coming out at an interesting time of year where people are going to be cash strapped perhaps because of having guests come through the holidays and this is a you know former huge franchise and i know that capcom has some lofty expectations for it. So I'm curious to see how it can deliver. I'm definitely excited though.
0: Yeah. Uh, one more little thing that I just re- remembered that I wanted to mention that I thought was interesting. I, I think, you know, the Resident Evil franchise historically opening a door was like a big deal. Like opening a door was a cutscene where they, where they, um, you it was know, the load. Yeah. Hid some loading. Yeah. Uh, I think what they did with lo- with the doors in this game is pretty clever. There's no button to open a door. It literally forces you to walk forward into it. And he'll put his hand out in first person and push the door open, but he won't push it open all the way. Like You ha- you have to keep pushing forward for him to push the door open, which is really terrifying and really different than most games. Usually you walk up to a door, press X, and it like swings open, and then you walk through. Forcing you to, to press it all the way open as you enter the room, I found to be a really cool touch because... There's no, there's no halfway. There's no like throw the door open, look in the room and see if there's anything right. scary. You know, you have to enter the room to get into it. It's pretty cool.
1: It's player agency bringing you into your own demise, which is <laughs> yeah. one of the fascinating things about video games. Cause in a movie you can be like, why would you open the door? Yeah. But now you have to open the door.
0: <laughs> uh, so what what have you been playing the last couple of days?
1: Man, uh, th- it, this is crazy. I don't want to, you know, whatever uh, I could talk forever. Forza Horizon 3 Blizzard Mountain expansion came out, and I feel I haven't spent enough time in it to say that it's the best racing game ever. But at this point, I'm wondering if a DLC for the former best racing game ever can now be the best racing game ever. It is it is incredible. There are videos. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but the way they set it up in the first race, they kind of drop you into to like, you know, the go play, you know, like, here's your dessert. Have some fun is incredible it's beautiful i think you know graphically what they've managed to do with like the difference in snow and ice and they have like they modeled the skies differently again for this winter wonderland it is awesome it is awesome what they managed to put out it's not going to convert you if you know you're like oh it's the game or whatever yeah like it's still forza horizon but it's incredible and like you'll
0: i'm surprised to hear that icy stuff is enough to be that impressive
1: well, it's, it's it's just a different dynamic where it's a lot of downhill bombing and then you hit black ice and you spin out and it's just fun in a, in a in a different way where you're able to have more fun with snow and ice I think than you can with rain because it doesn't seem as oppressive and uh it's 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 it's, it's beautiful and it's fun. Um it's cool. definitely worth checking out. I can't say you should buy it, uh, <laughs> but you should buy it. Um <laughs> you haven't played this yet, but Super Mario Run is out.
0: I'm really excited because I'm about to get on a plane and head up to my family's. You can't
1: play it on a plane though,
0: dude. But, but, but it's a mobile game. I I mean, that's my whole, (laughs) that's what I'm excited about, Christian, is getting on a plane and playing a mobile game
1: on the go. Yeah. Yeah. You need internet, man. But what, but that doesn't, because, but but there's no multiplayer. Is there, it's because, what,
0: I don't need to play multiplayer. What?
1: I know it's a bummer because it has some social features, but it's a bummer that they require the connection at all times. The rumor is that it's you know their fear of of hacking and piracy still, but you all, you need to be connected so you can plan a train as long as you don't go through a tunnel, you can't plan an airplane unless you surprise you know buy the Wi Fi or whatever. Um, I I will say though the the novelty and oddness and joy and like what a weird future where like i'm on my iphone and the red screen with the nintendo logo came up and like classic mario sound started coming out of my phone i was like this both makes me happy and sad at the same time like <laughs> it's like when sega you know quit making consoles i was like finally we'll see some sega games on every console this is going to be great and then i was like but still i love you dreamcast and this of course isn't the end of nintendo hardware but it felt it feels weird different than Pokemon go. Even it feels weird to have Mario. Um, my quick hot take impressions of it. Having not like done the grind out in game type thing is that it's fine. Um, it's fine. it will make a lot of money. I don't think it'll set the world on fire. I think reviews are being a little more favorable because it's Mario. I think if this exact same game came out like something else, you know, I, I don't think people would even really take notice in the same way. It's really well made. It seems like it's quality. It looks good. It plays well. Um, but I want you to play. We can we can talk more about it.
0: Yeah, I'm, I mean that's going to get me through my my family Christmas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it won't. That's the idea. Well, the end game is long. I, I've heard, but the initial stuff is not. Um, and then Uncharted Four had an update. They they released their survival their horde mode, and um, it seems really cool. I've only scratched the surface of it, but it's you know co op or solo play. Uh, boss runs like you know it, it's what horde modes are today i think sometimes you say horde mode and you, people just assume gears one and horde modes today have become much more elaborate and even the game modes and types within horde mode and what you're able to do and uh the, you know it's still fun it's still rewarding the graphics look beautiful Um, I was tweeting at Naughty Dog today telling them I want them to include outfits for Chloe and Nadine from the Lost Legacy trailer because that's basically all I want to do is pretend I'm playing those games. (laughs) Um, But it seems cool. And uh, gosh, there was one other thing. What was the other thing that I mentioned before we started? Forza. Text. Super Mario Run. Uncharted 4. I feel like something else just came. This week started off as small and then became. Uh,
0: Overwatch.
1: Oh, yeah. Overwatch's holiday event started, which seems like the costumes aren't quite as great as Halloween um, and the legendaries and stuff like that. But it's still – and you know this as well as anyone – what Blizzard manages to do with pulling people back in come the holidays or come these events is always – it's just fun to load it up and see like, oh, they're in Santa Santa outfits. I don't know why that – brings me back to a game. <laughs> but, but it and I'll play the little custom, you know, arcade loadout they have, the Snow Fight or whatever they're calling it. And it it does it gets you back. You play that a few times and you play regular Overwatch again for a little bit and uh they're they're really really good about doing that. And I can't believe that here we are, you know, pretty much the end of 2016 and all of this dropped. Like all of this came out the, the end of last week and this week. It's insane.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh season 3 for Heroes of the Storm just started the big new hero and I mean the new season means I have to do my placement games now for ranked again. It means, uh, I, and things have completely changed now for the number of people that are in team league versus regular, just ranked play. Oh, it's, there's so much to do and I'm leaving town. It's not, <laughs> it's not even fair, man. Do
1: you know what you could do? You could download Pokemon. Why
0: would I want to do that? Exactly. To keep you busy. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not worried about that. Actually, I'm going to see my nephews, and for their birthdays, I got them Sun and Moon. So I'm sure there will oh, be nice. lots of Pokemoning happening in my general vicinity. Yeah, uh, but uh, hey, I wanted to ask you about um, Steep because you and I both played that at E3 and were really underwhelmed for, by it. But it sounds like a bunch of people are really digging it, and it, I know it's a, the kind of game you tend to like. Have you reconsidered? whether or not you're going to give that game a shot Uh,
1: no Um, (laughs) (laughs) i feel bad you're right it is the type of game i would like and some people have been singing its praises um just to be completely transparent like if they sent me a review copy would i put four hours into it yes am i going to spend my own time or money on it no i can't look at all the stuff i just mentioned like some of my favorite games of all time also came out this year and they all have new content yeah and, and then I haven't finished The Last Guardian, which is every time I play it, climbing higher and higher in my list. Uh, I, I can't. There's not time for me to then sit down and go, you know what? Let me give this game that didn't impress me the first time around another shot, which is my bad. But I just I can't. I can't. You should sure do enough. it, though. Uh,
0: I don't know. It's not the kind of game that I tend to like. Um, so I, I think I'm less inclined to to even enjoy it. But people are really raving about it. And I played it. We both did at E3 and just. I just did not see the joy
1: in it, but and I feel like Ubisoft did, has not seen the joy in that game. Just came out, yeah. You know, like they're like, "And yeah. Steeps out, right? <laughs> and what a weird time, like, right? Ugh, Last Guardian, Final Fantasy fifteen, and then here's this game, Steep, yeah." it's odd it's hard it's hard it's a hard it's a hard time i don't know when games can come out anymore it used to be like oh the summer and now red dead's like no that's us yeah i (laughs) know early spring nintendo's like no that's our new console uh well the beginning of the year uh that's resident evil 7 oh the holiday yeah Yeah, good luck we got
0: resident (laughs) evil 7 in january we got uh horizon zero hour in february zero dawn zero hour i always say that zero dawn you're right um it's like it's the hits are just gonna keep on coming it's gonna be exciting um, and we're going to be doing our best of 2016 show uh, next week, which is pretty God. fun. And then after that, we'll be doing our annual anniversary show with uh, our predictions and our reckoning for last year's predictions and uh, all, of the, uh, all of the games we're excited about for 2017. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be good times. But before we get there and before we move on to anything else, we do have to thank our sponsor for this episode, Foot cardigan. You still have some time. If you're looking for a last minute gift or you just want to treat yourself, I highly recommend checking out foot cardigan. Too often people are not paying attention to the details. Details are important, especially when you're dressing for success or you're just dressing to have fun and impress your friends and uh, maybe the uh, member of the opposite sex they may want to may want to catch the eye of. A uh, foot cardigan provides those cool little Details and you can give that to someone. Maybe you you can't think of anything to get uh, a family member or a loved one. Don't be the person that comes up with a lame gift. Don't be a holiday ruiner. Give the gift of foot cardigan. Foot cardigan is pretty much the best gift you could give. It delivers fun, interesting socks right to your mailbox, and that's like a delivery of joy and fuzziness. It's it's for men. It's for women. It's for kids. Everybody, you get them once a month all over the world. And the best part is you don't have to choose the socks. They have really cool people choosing the cool socks for you. And the socks are always fun. They're always uh, going to add a bit of flair to your wardrobe. Every month is a a surprise and surprises are the coolest thing. Give the gift of surprise. Give the gift of surprise to someone else or to yourself starting at just 9 bucks a month. Foot cardigan socks are an awesome gift for the holidays. They're an awesome gift anytime, really. And it's fun to just maybe give your own gift uh, a subscription because you got to treat yourself. You got to treat yourself. Sometimes, guess what? We're going to hook you up. If you go to footcardigan.com and use our promo code DLC10, you get yourself 10% off footcardigan.com. F-O-O-T-C-A-R-D-I-G-A-N.com. Fix up that last bit of your Christmas buying list or maybe just hook yourself up so you look cool at the Christmas party or you look cool just in life from now on because you always have those cool little details on the end of your feats. Footcardigan.com, promo code DLC10. All right. On with the rest of the very different kind of episode uh, with all bonus content. Cool. All right. Let's get right to it, man. Uh, and, And enjoy the rest of your holiday. Safe travels, Christian.
1: Thanks, you too. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to this bonus content of DLC. If you want extra geeky goodness, I do another weekly podcast called At Least 20 More Minutes that so you can find at patreon.com slash Spicer. But this, dear listeners, is not that. This is bonus content for DLC, and I am so excited. I have been uh, dying to do this for, I think, pretty much since we had our guest on as a regular guest to the podcast. He is a friend of the show and just friend of a person, person of a, a friend in real life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> joining me is Mr. Rob Kreckle. Hello, Rob. How are you? Hey, Christian. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So I need to say up top, to you and to our listeners. I am not, this is the only time I'm going to say these words. I am not going to ask you any questions, talk about, allude to, make any vague references to. If I do, it's totally unintentional. There is going to be no talk about uh, Uncharted The Lost Legacy, The Last of Us Part Two, or any other future upcoming Naughty Dog project. So don't scour this looking for codes. Like the first word of every sentence Christian said was asking. A, <laughs> there's none of that. There is none of that. We're not going to get into that. We're going to talk about sound, sound design, all of that good stuff. Um, but Before we dive in, Rob, for people who don't know, who are you and what do you do?
2: Uh, I'm Rob Krekel. I'm a senior sound designer at uh, Naughty Dog. Um, I've, I've been at Naughty Dog officially for about two years, but in reality, I've been here for about six um, I used to work for Sony's internal sound group, which uh, is sort of like internal outsourcing. But my office has been at Naughty Dog for the last six years, and so I've worked on uh, all the projects that have come out of Naughty Dog since Uncharted Three. Cool. Sony Internal Sound Group
1: is a an awesome name for a group. It sounds it sounds very cool. It sounds like you guys wear black suits and sunglasses all the
2: time. <laughs> it's a rough gig. It's uh, it's cool because you get to work on lots of uh, different titles, but you, you get to work on lots of different titles, so you're always very, very busy.
1: Right, I'm sure. Uh,
2: so what is
1: – we talked about it a little bit. You were a guest on a full episode of DLC – too long ago, we only covered it for a little bit up top, but like it fascinates me. I appreciate good sound, I appreciate art, I appreciate design i don 't know much about it, and i 'm always eager to learn more like what is sound design like you record someone punching and then you play that recording over Nathan Drake punching someone in Uncharted two is that what it is that what you're doing
2: uh, in a, if you were to break it down to its simplest terms uh, in a way sure uh, sound design really is um is storytelling, just like most things that are involved in, uh, in this media. Um, you know, sound, especially at Naughty Dog is, is used in a way that, you know, represents the reality, uh, that we're trying to convey in the games here, but we're also trying to tell like little micro stories within the larger context of say Uncharted. So even the smallest door creak or window open or whatever we'll have like sort of a little story that makes, we're, we're trying to make the players feel a certain way. So if you're trying to make the player feel uneasy, maybe the creek is a little bit longer or louder uh, than it might be in reality because you want them to feel tension, like, oh crap, I'm making a lot of noise. Uh, whereas, you know, if something is happy and light or melancholy, you may approach things a little bit differently. So yes, we record, you know, things for punch sounds and whatnot, but, a lot of it is, is more um, – the design aspect is more on the psychological side and, and trying to um, help you know, guide the player to, to feel and react in certain ways.
1: Yeah, you, you said story, and I was going to give you a hard time saying, saying that that sounds pretentious. But I think what you were really saying, what I heard, is you're a master manipulator. Like, yes. It's insane because in real life – My front door just creaks, whether I'm, I'm happy to see my kids or whether or not I just watched a horror movie and I'm afraid to come home. Like, or I left the door unlocked and like the door creaks all the time, but it's insane. It's like what you said, of course, makes sense. And maybe some people think of it, but that's crazy that you're going to be like, Oh, what is the situation? We want there to be tension or this is, you know, uh Joel meeting Ellie for the first time in the last – or whatever, right? And it's like you have this creek as the first clicker you ever encounter and, and, and The Last of Us comes around a corner and you're like, oh, what is this going to sound like? It's not just a door. Mm-hmm. That has – I mean, to me, I'm getting – a rate, elevated heart rate just thinking about the pressure of figuring that out like where <laughs> where does that start and when are you brought in on the process in terms of like no it needs to be creepier like this isn't nearly creepy enough
2: uh so thankfully and naughty dog we're brought in very very early um, you know we're, we're we have garnered a lot of uh, respect and and trust from uh, the designers and and uh, and producers here and so uh, we were brought in uh, very, very early on to try to, you know, sculpt these worlds and and um you know help support the division, uh the uh the vision of No the division, the Ubisoft game, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, right. No, the uh the vision of of the leads. And so <clears throat> there there's never really a moment, um not really, where it's like, well, this needs to be creepier, or this needs to be that. Um because we've earned the right to kind of like do what we feel is necessary. And there's always pushback and give and take obviously, but, um, a lot of times we're sort of, we're trusted to do what is necessary to communicate what is needed. And so, um, that's pretty rare and it's pretty special. It's, it's one of the great reasons, uh, to work, uh, for a dog in particular is that you do have that certain, uh, level of trust, uh, which is, which is nice to work with. Um, you know, there's always creative challenges, obviously, like, um, the, the infected on last of us, I know Derek Espino who, um, and Phil Kovats who were primarily responsible for the, the concept and execution on those creatures. They went through many, many, many revisions with both Bruce and Neil, um, kind of trying to come up with like, well, is it, it's, it's all human or is it crazy creature or is it more screechy or is it more groany or, you know, like there definitely was a back and forth that they went through, but ultimately, you know, what, what they landed on for the clicker in particular was sort of a, like many things in art was a happy accident. Um, you know, they, they sort of heard this, this clicking sound. They've been thinking about clicking sounds about, you know, blind echolocation, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, in, in an effort of searching for that, Thing we we used a voice actress called Misty Lee. Yeah, Jeff and I met her.
1: We were hosting a an event, uh, like a, a Twitch event, and we met Misty. She also plays the voice of Princess Leia in Battlefront. If people right. don't know her work,
2: she is prolific and
1: incredible,
2: incredible she voice actor. Is incredible, exactly. And in playing and and working with her, I know that uh, Derek and Phil were able to kind of like coax her into this odd noise that she could make with her throat and that was sort of like the kernel of everything that came after uh and then uh my boss Phil also is like tremendously gifted in his ability to kind of make uh crazy noises so he's actually the male clicker and Misty is is the female clicker um and those two combined were were um you know pretty pretty amazing at uh creating one of the most iconic sounds out of that game
1: yeah, I certainly don't want to pull you out of your expertise, Um, so feel free to just, you know, if you don't know, you don't know, it's fine. But I feel like the thing about video games that's so interesting is that unless it's an old-school Sega CD or, like, full-motion video game, right, like, nothing exists. You know, mm-hmm. you, it's built in a world, it's a program, it's a computer model, it's whatever, whereas in a movie, they're actually on set. And I know video games now shoot motion capture and do stuff on set, but, like, an, in a movie, you have the rock and Fast and the Furious coming in and actually closing a door, whether or not they use that sound uh, or they add to it. I, you know, I'm sure they they don't just use the regular sound, but or the grunt he makes when he gets punched or thrown across a room or pulled on a cable like that thing exists. But in this game world, I mean, you literally have nothing until you make it. And mm-hmm. like the average day to day things, not like a click um or like a unique sound effect but like something that's fairly common like a door um a brick uh, a bottle a gunshot a whip a footstep whatever like these mundane normal things how often is that sound the actual thing and that's it or is it that plus something or is it not even that at all it's actually a watermelon against a wall or something like that
2: <laughs> so uh uh, a lot of the sounds that are are sort of mundane and, and everyday are are actually the thing um, but again, it sort of depends on on the context. Uh, a door is a door unless it's trying to communicate something to the player that's that's more interesting and then maybe it might have some animal. Recording, you know, sort of buried in it to make you feel uneasy. Yo, dog, spooky
1: door. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Exactly. But uh, um, a a good example of this in Last of Us is actually so that, you know, there's wildlife, there's birds and bugs and and all sorts of things that, you know, create the, the feeling of the world. But you reach a certain point where some things you may hear are not actually real bugs and birds. They're manipulations of things so there's actually uh one of my favorite little little sounds um that i made in last of us there's a clicker frog and it's a frog that's been manipulated in a way its croak has been pulled apart and stretched out and it's it's actually has sort of a natural clicking to it and it's been pulled apart and stuck uh in a few places to make the player sort of mistake what they're hearing distrust oh, the environment around them um so in that way it, it's still wildlife but it's been manipulated in such a way to like again sort of like support what is supposed to be felt by the player at that moment
3: yeah, and maybe even <laughs> foreshadow
2: maybe even foreshadow white meat what might be coming or be a red herring for for what isn't actually there at all yeah um but yeah, I mean, in terms of like punches and things, that's almost never actual. Uh, like, you know, you're not we're not recording punching each other, right? Gotta it's, go to
1: work. What are you doing today? Punching Bill. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it can be it can be a number of different things. Uh, you know, actually punching into your hand with like loose fingers was something we used a lot of, just because it has sort of a flamy, fleshy sound. What does that mean? That's like, is that like a slap? What does loose fingers mean? Uh, like so, not loose finger. so rather than balling up a fist, you actually leave your hand fairly loose, like a wrestling punch. Oh, you know, for instance, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And the reason is it's, it's got more character to it. You can hear more of the flesh and more of like a multi transient rather than just like a, a thud. Hmm. Um, and that would be layered into maybe something that was like a baseball bat hitting a leather glove, which is sort of more of a classic Hollywood, you know, hyped punch as maybe a, a lower element. Um, because, you know, if you just use the the fleshy bit, it's not really going to feel as satisfying when you when you nail somebody or as painful. Um, and and uh, the melee in The Last of Us was really um, the goal was to make it feel very painful and visceral, uh, oh, so as it's opposed like brick to brick bottle bat or whatever the yeah uh... <laughs> as, exactly. As opposed to like something in Uncharted, which is more akin to like uh, you know Indiana Jones, where the the punches are a little bigger than life. They're they're they still feel you know powerful and satisfying but they're sort of they live in a different world they sort of live outside the reality a little bit
1: there's a kapow behind it yeah right <laughs> yeah um how much of this stuff like as a a student of it or and now practicing it you know is a vestige of the old radio show with like foleying in you know lightning shaking the tinfoil or whatever it is is some of that stuff still used or have you guys kind of you know, you look at that as like, oh, cute beginnings, but, you know, we're good. No more coconuts as a horse gallops along.
2: Uh, no, I mean, a lot of those techniques are, are tried and true and are still used. Um, uh, maybe not the, the thunder sheet as much these days um, because we have great recordists like Frank Bree who actually live in the middle of Idaho and get these amazing rolling thunderstorms that come through every year and provide these libraries that you can go and get of just the, the best thunder you'll ever hear in your life. But um, no, we, we go to a Foley stage uh, every game. Um, all of our, our footsteps for all the different surfaces that you could possibly walk on in the game are recorded on a Foley stage, um, just like you would for a movie, but we record it in a different way. So a movie, you're actually going to you know, watch whatever the scene is, whatever the actors are doing, and you're going to follow that along. We don't have that luxury because the player can pretty much walk anywhere they want. Yeah, because so, if there's
1: snow, I'm going to walk in a circle to see how long till my footsteps dissolve. Like that, right. Or sand, I'm going to be like, wet sand, dry sand, wet sand, dry sand. I did that for probably at least, not exaggerating, two or three minutes in Uncharted
2: 4. And I was like, <laughs> wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry. <laughs> right. And we actually have two different sounds. We have yep. wet sand and dry sound. Yep. And um, But not only do we have two different sounds, but we have multiple levels of performance because... Movement in a game is analog right A player can go slowly or or middle speed or sprinting, and so um, you know our Foley recordings are are much more involved to where we're we're recording multiple levels of performance where you're you have a performance where they're uh, simulating sneaky and then a performance where they're simulating like a normal walk and then a jog and then a sprint. And, you know, the way your feet sound on, on various surfaces is very, very different when you're, you know, sprinting hard versus when you're trying to be quiet. And so we actually cover all that stuff dynamically in the game. And, um, you know, a big part of sound design is, is obviously recording, um, you know, assets to, to represent the things that you're uh, showing in the game. But um, a major part of game sound that makes it unique compared to any other medium that a sound is involved in is uh, the integration, the dynamic behavior. Um, and that's a big thing that we, we really strive to, um, nail in every painstaking detail we possibly can at Naughty Dog, um, is just, just hit all of that fine detail that makes a character feel connected to the world and feel like they're really there. All that, that fine grained sound that really kind of represents, the physicality of the character is is really important for us
1: so not uh i'm not asking naughty dog specifics of course you know pull from your expertise or whatever but just generally speaking as best as you can estimate in a triple a traditional triple a you know single player let's leave out multiplayer stuff i don't know if that's those are different sounds or not but like in a single player adventure triple a game how long would you guess the average sound that call sheet is or whatever you know like okay we need four thousand sounds like is that a thing that exists like uh all um, of these things and it's just
2: infinity (laughs) i I wish there was just a big big sheet but that's not really that's not really uh possible we probably created all the people that worked on uncharted 4 uh, 40 to fifty thousand unique individual sound files and granted that's That's a lot of like there's a lot of variation there so like for all the different footsteps that we have, for all the different surfaces and all the different performances, that's a huge chunk of that number. But that's still right? work
1: being done. I mean, that's not, don't yeah. I don't I don't discount that just because they're all footsteps. If that's a recording in a unique sound, yeah. that's insane.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think at one point I had just personally made over six thousand uh, sound effects. Um, Do you have a favorite? But- <laughs> uh, in Uncharted 4, I, I'm really proud of the way the Jeep turned out. I think that feels really good. Kind of all the accoutrement associated with that, but also the, um, the bell, uh, tower sequence, mm-hmm. um, in, in Madagascar uh, city is one of my favorite sequences that I got to work on from the beginning with all the, uh, the statues and the rotation and the gears and all that all the way through the end where it's crashing through the floor. And
1: I mean, as you're, it's just, it is insane. And it's something that, where I totally take you and all of your colleagues for granted. Like, yeah, every, every little thing and saying it sounds stupid and people are probably listening and they're like, of course, Christian, everything is a sound, but like, but that statue sounds like across marble or granite. And then the gear, that's not a thing.
2: Yep. Uh, and then we have to think in a way, like to, again, to tell the story is like, well, how is this thing actually moving? Well, there's, there's some chains under the floor that are pulling some gears and there's things behind the wall are, that are communicating these moving things. So that we tell the story of how this mechanism actually works, you know, cause Twelve when hamsters,
1: <laughs> right? Exactly.
2: <laughs> cause when a designer designs it, that, you know, they, they have an idea of the puzzle they want you to, to, to complete, but yeah. they're not necessarily thinking of, well, this mechanism works by, you know, pulleys and, and, uh, and chains and gears and, 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 a water aqueduct, or you know, like <laughs> that's that's all up to us to kind of fill in the blanks and and make it um, make it make sense. Yeah, what's the uh, cross section of the ad at? Like, how this thing looks cool, but like for
1: real, how is it working? Is it a right. boiler, a steam engine, a f- fusion device?
2: Like, and then all of that would sound different as it rumbles <laughs> right, along. Right, and uh, and it, you know, you kind of touched on something that that is sort of it's interesting about working in sound. Sound is an invisible art, right? where, you know, actual art characters and textures and environments, all that stuff, like you see with your eyes, you know, it's there. If sound is, is really good. Usually you don't notice it. You just go, yeah, of course that's what it sounds like. Right.
1: right, Yeah. Of course that's what a laser beam shooting through space, hitting a spaceship a
2: light year away sounds like, duh. (laughs) Right. And, and in a way that's a, it's a huge compliment because it means we're doing our job. Um, You know, obviously everyone wants accolades and they want to be recognized for our work, but. You know, as, as sound people, we tend to have to be satisfied with um, with people just believing uh, what they're presented with. That That is almost uh, more kind of rewarding, is, is that when sound is bad, people definitely will tell you about it. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> there are certainly exceptions to the rule. Obviously, like the Battlefield guys always get much praise, well-deserved praise, because their games are amazing. But, you know, sound is much more upfront for those games, where... Where with us, you know, like I said, we're supporting story more than just gameplay, just explosions and guns. Where we're supporting, uh, you know, these these brilliant cast of characters and and everything that is going on kind of between the lines. So it's yeah. just a little different. Um.
1: So I, I feel like comedy is somewhat the same way in terms of, and this is just me and Mike, you know. The anecdote of my experience but like art you look at a painting or a statue or sculpture or whatever and you're like wow that wow that took a lot someone created that you go to a comedy club and you watch a show and you laugh and i feel like oftentimes like people oh video games aren't art because they don't realize the stuff that's going into it and in a comedy it's like oh i'm a stand-up i'm an artist no you just make people laugh but yeah you don't realize how crafted every word i'm saying is and i'm manipulating you to elicit a response at the end of the thing that i'm saying It's just good comedy, good anything, good art looks effortless. Bad art is a punch to the face. (laughs) It's an (laughs) affront to your senses. Whatever it is, and I think it's you know sound is is the same way. Um, Is sound ruined for you? My anecdote for this is I worked in the service industry uh, in high school, and I think just high school is kind of when I was eh, maybe later too, but like at a restaurant. And if I go to that chain of restaurant or kind of any restaurant now or comedy clubs now, like, you know, how the sausage is made. And like, you know, I watch a TV show. I know what the writer's room is. And you're like, oh, that's uh, Susan's joke. She's killer at those. I didn't know she wrote it, but you can see it. Like, right. can you turn your mind off and just watch Westworld? Or are you watching it going <sighs> classic twin barrel shotgun for the, you know, whatever? Oh, when they're making the things, they're using a a roly acrylic acid wash or something.
2: It's very difficult to turn that off. Um, it, it it in games in particular, it's it's really hard t- to turn off the critical cap a lot of the time, which I it's it's sort of annoying because like I just want to sit and play a game and like enjoy it and like not go oh that's that's a library sound I've heard that <laughs> of, you know like and that and it happens all the time in in TV and movies for sure but sure. there's there's always there's always games and there's always films and and shows that are transcendent of those things and make you forget. Um, Like I saw rival recently and that is one of those things where I was just so blown away. I had to like sit there just like collecting myself after watching it Um, because it was sonically it was, it was completely unique Um, and that's rare and it's also extremely inspiring and sort of like, uh, it's just awesome in its, in its ability to kind of like finally something pulled me out of my, my critical, like cynical (laughs) sound guy. And just, I just got to experience something that's, um, so it makes, it makes things like that, I think more special. Um, but it makes sort of the run of the mill, mediocre stuff a little, uh, harder to, to get through sometimes. Sure.
1: Sure. Um, I could do this forever. I know you have real work to do, but I, I, if we can to wrap up last questions, one, um, the, most difficult sound in your opinion to capture accurately and convey and then taking it home. Uh, if someone is interested in getting into your line of work, if there was a youngster listening, uh, and and fascinated by this, any tips or tricks or anything like that, you can help to get them started. Sure. Um,
2: capturing accurately kind of every sound in a way is because microphones are, are by their very nature imprecise just because they are mechanical devices. Um, recreate, I would say is probably a better one to go on. And that is like creature, creature sounds are probably the hardest sounds to make convincing okay. and not just a mess of, well, I threw this animal and that animal and this animal and that animal where you sort of lose the voice of the thing you're trying to make. Creatures are are extraordinarily difficult. Uh, and I would say those are definitely the most challenging. I still have trouble with that stuff. And, uh, I'm always amazed at like sort of the simplicity of like Chewbacca, for instance, like <laughs> he its so uh, amazingly effective and it's made from, um, you know, very minimal, uh, like processing. It's just, it's mostly bear. <laughs> huh. So it's like a little bear and a little dog. And, and the, you know, we, t- I think in the day of, in the days of digital, we tend to sort of layer too much stuff too often, too quickly to try to achieve something. And it just ends up getting, uh, muddled. And so, um, striving for that more simplistic approach, I think is something that at least I will try to do whenever I get to, to do some creatures, Uh, in terms of, of getting in to do, uh, do what I do. Um, honestly, nowadays there are, there are more schools than ever that are sort of teaching sound design um, the school that I went to in particular, the Savannah college of art and design down in Savannah, Georgia. Um, I really loved my time there. I, uh, I learned a ton, but more than learning, I having access to literally like every microphone available mm. and field recorders and people who had worked in the industry and recording studios and time, time to play around and time to make mistakes was extraordinarily valuable. Um, sound is one of those things where it can get very expensive, very fast with all the gear that you kind of by very nature need to, to kind of do it well. Sure. And it's one of those times where going to school can be valuable if only for access. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, cause a lot of things you can learn on YouTube these days. Um, and you can certainly learn techniques and, and, and there's tons of interviews and great videos by, by seasoned veterans that you can find online that, that are great for little nuggets of knowledge, but in terms of basic, like rote skill um, chops, as we call them in the industry, uh, you know, you kind of just got to start doing it and, um, and going to school might, might be the best option for that. Just cause there's so many programs available now, there's far more than when I even started at school. Like when I started, there was, you know, there was sort of recording arts programs and things, but now there are programs that are specific to sound design, and that means film, games, whatever uh, whatever path you want to go, um, a lot of them are, are set up to sort of support that. Awesome.
1: Uh, well, man, thank you so much. You know, I love you. You know, I, I love the, what you guys create. Um, if people wanted to stalk you online and try to put your tweets together for, for, uh, <laughs> for secret codes, where can people uh, find more about you or and or sound design?
2: Sure. You can uh, follow me on Twitter at Rob Crackle, and uh, you can... You can tweet at me. I am always up for answering questions. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Just search my name; you'll find me. Um, that's a great way to connect in terms of like job stuff. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I am uh, I'm an open book and always willing to to share um, advice, experience, and um, yeah, just uh, hit me up.
1: But what sound does that book make when I open it? Is it foreboding? Is it not? Is it not an inviting book? <laughs>
2: it's welcoming. It's, okay, it's warm and welcoming.
1: Well, I'm going to go put The Last of Us back in and find this clicker frog, so I'll be (laughs) gone for a while. Um, Rob, thank you so much. I
2: really, really, really appreciate it. No, it was awesome, Christian. Thanks for having me.
0: Hey, it's Jeff, and I'm back because I need to tell you about our second sponsor, Fireside. Fireside is a podcast hosting and analytics platform that was created by podcasters for podcasters. Fireside was started by Dan Benjamin, the guy who founded this network 5 by 5 and he took everything he learned since he founded the network in 2009 about making podcasts and doing it for a living, he turned it into a platform for podcasters everywhere. So if you have been doing podcasts for a long time, or if you're curious and want to try starting one, it's for you. It's for beginners, it's for experts, it's for everybody in between, because Fireside has it all. Unlimited uploads, unlimited downloads, massive amounts of real-time data and analytics about your unique downloads, a super-fast CDN for the best download speeds, multiple podcast support so you can do multiple shows, free one-click podcast importing from platforms like Libsyn, Feedpress, Simplecast, and SoundCloud, custom domain mapping, a beautiful, responsive website with your own artwork, host, and guest pages, tons of advanced Features like sponsorship integration, chapter markers, a bookmarklet for links, auto-posting of future episodes, time linking. Oh my gosh, so much more. It has everything you need to be a podcaster. And you can try Fireside for free for seven days, during which time you can import your existing podcasts for free. While taking advantage of every feature that Fireside has to offer. The unlimited plan starts at 19 bucks a month. And there's no commitment or long-term agreements at all to worry about. It's great. Just visit Fireside.fm today. That's F A, excuse me, F I R E S I D E Fireside.fm. Take the tour, learn more. It's by podcasters for podcasters. Check it out, Fireside.fm. Time for a little bonus content now. I'm joined by Steve Bowler from Cloudgate Studios. Uh, welcome, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, my, it's my pleasure, man. I've been enjoying your game, Island Three Five Nine. I've talked about it on the show a bunch. And um, I mean, what's not to like about running around shooting dinosaurs
3: in the jungle? That's it's a pretty cool concept. <laughs> thanks. um Yeah, we kind of felt so too, right? Um, that's why when we were talking about like, you know, all right, what's the, what's the best recipe for success here? How can we like, what, you know, what's the, what's the easiest thing to do, uh, on the Vive in VR, which was like shoot things. And then what's, you know, what's, a uh, what's really popular. That's in the public eye. That's easy, you know, like not branded, but everybody knows what they are. And we were like, let's dinosaurs are kind of awesome. Let's try and do something with that.
0: Yeah. And they, uh, they really capitalize on one of the things that makes VR so special, which is scale, right? Mm-hmm. You have tiny dinosaurs, you have big dinosaurs and and it's fun to feel like you're standing right next to them.
3: Yeah. We just, um, we were just down at VR Austin. Uh, they did a, they did a VR jam that they do every year. And we missed the last one because we weren't doing VR last year. That's like how new VR is. Right. And yeah. um, you know, like the last one was like where they prototyped job simulator and you know, final approach, like launch titles for the vibe. We were like, all right. And our friends host it. So we really should go down there and, you know, visit and hang out and do something. So we put, um, we haven't put the T-Rex in the game yet. So we worked on that mission the whole time we were there and um, he's gigantic and he's really terrifying. So like we got it in, uh, we have a, uh, we got it raining. So it's like thunderstorming. It's at night, you know, flashes of lightning, light them up and everything. I mean, we're, we we keep joking. We're like, how close do we have to get before Spielberg sues us? Um, <laughs> as long as there are no banners falling slowly down around him. I guess right, exactly. It. And we're like, nobody say Jurassic anywhere. Don't <laughs> ever say it. Um, and we should be okay.
0: Uh, let's take a little step back because uh, you're a guy that's been around in the video game industry for a while. You you worked at Midway and NetherRealm. You worked on Mortal Kombat. Yep. Uh, but but uh, Cloudgate is... Exists specifically for VR,
3: right? Yeah, yeah. What, we we what founded you, it for that. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I'm just wondering what, why are you doubling down on VR? I've been a VR evangelist for a long time. I think it's the future. I think my kid is going to think it's weird that we ever played on 2D screens, you know, at all. Yeah. Uh, are you? Do you believe in it that much? What made you double down on VR? Oh
3: yeah, absolutely right. Um, and I'm I'm like a late evangelist to VR. I almost I must feel guilty. I'm almost that fairweather fan. Right. Um, whereas like, um, one of my good buddies, um, Patrick, the guy who runs the VR Austin jam has been begging me to try VR for years now. Right. Like, um, you know, like you got to try the, you know, Google Cardboard, you got to try, you know, merge VR, you got to, you know, you guys got an Oculus, you know, DK kit yet. And always telling us how great it was. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's, I'm, I'm glad you're into it. It's not for me. And we tried, you know, at the last place we worked, we, you know, the company did the Kickstarter for Oculus and we, you know, they did it late. Um, we eventually got a DK one like months after everybody else did. And I tried it and I got motion sick from it. You know, I was like, this is undeniably super neat, but that's cool. I'm going back to work. So, uh, basically you know, all the stuff leading up to trying out the Vive was kind of, um, it didn't, it, I didn't get it yet. Right. I was like, it's neat. It's gimmicky. It, uh, it's not doing it for me. Right. And I wasn't necessarily dismissive of it. It was just, it didn't grab me. And then Mm. we got that Vive dev kit in, um, you know, the ones with the funny sombrero hats on them. right? Right. And, um, and they like, I think it was actually Jeremy who forced me to do it. I was, you know, I just got done telling this story to somebody else, but I was like, look, guys, I, look, it makes me sick. I don't want to do it. Um, they're like, no, 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 this one's different. Cause everybody else in the office had tried it already and they were just as, as enthusiastic. It felt like, you know, for the other stuff. So I wasn't seeing, you know, an increase in enthusiasm convincing me I needed to try it. And somebody was finally like, look, it's your job as a creative director to try everything in case somebody asks the studio to make a project for it. Right. And I'm like, fine, you're right. I hate you. So <laughs> I went and got in the mocap studio and I put the vibe on my face and um, I nicknamed it the Mesa. I don't know what their technical term was for it, but it was that original gray room that um, shipped with like the, the, the valve demo app that, um, you know, I, I I nicknamed it the Mesa cause that's like a Tron term. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt like, okay, this is like Tron and it had those like little gray squares that you were standing on that sort of trailed off into the distance. And it gave you like a sense of verticality and spatial distance. And I was just like everyone, it's not special to me. I was just overwhelmed at the one-to-one tracking and the fact that I could walk around and be in this new space and see your hands. And that's like one of the most amazing things was seeing your hands. And like, I want to touch on this really quick that the reason why I think that's so magical for people and people don't get it. I, I've been in motion capture forever and I'm like an armchair, like psychology geek, right? Like I want to, I want to learn why humans do things because that helps, especially in VR development and seeing your hands is literally the first time any human being becomes Um, (laughs) self-aware.
2: I don't think your baby's
3: done it yet because he's really little, but maybe he has. If you've witnessed the moment your baby first realizes they have hands, it's magic, (laughs) right? And that, I think that just imprints on us as human beings that like, that at a subconscious level, our hands help us identify who we are and where we are in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It seems basic, like, duh, but we never had that in VR before until we saw that. And that's what, I mean, it was amazing walking around, but then seeing, Oh, there's where my hands are and I can reach out and touch this stuff. This is incredible. Um, that's what did it. And since from that point on there were lulls in it, like I had a job to do that wasn't, you know, developing for VR yet. And so I had to go back to doing that. And as soon as we shipped that, um, even at our old job, this is, you know, this is how we got to, um, getting the Brookhaven demo done so quickly was we were just like, so overworked from the last project we were on. We were like, nobody bother us. We're going to play in VR for a while. (laughs) And um, it sort of became like, we would help each other out and solve problems, but we were sort of like one upping each other, you know, of like anything you can do, I can do better. Right. And uh, Jeremy would make something cool. And then I'd be like, but check out what I just made. And um, what was happening was it became like a, like an iterative learning challenge for us to mm-hmm. like learn what best worked in VR and what didn't, uh, and stuff like that. So it just, it was like, that's what really like nailed it for us. And from that point on, we sort of had, you know, a discussion when we went, um, valve noticed what we were doing and invited us to demo. It was when valve invited us to demo Brookhaven at the GDC booth that mm-hmm. they had, they had that giant ballroom. I don't know if you got to see it. I did. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And we had missed out on the gathering of developers they did previously to that in January. And I was really angry because I was like, look, I think we can hang with those 12 developers. I feel like we sort somewhere in that top 12 of um, quality bar that we can hit. Mm. And the only reason we're not there is because they didn't know who we are. Right. And, um, oh, I had, I had FOMO so bad, Jeff. I was just <laughs> like... I was like, you know, it's, the tech is so cool and the, the medium so cool and we should be in there. And then when they were like, Hey, do you want to come demo at GDC in our booth? I was just like, yes. And of course we're already going to GDC, you know, like muting the phone and yelling, buy the tickets, right? <laughs> um, you know, book the hotel we're going. So um, the, uh, you know, that's what did it. And being there at that event, I mean, I just turned to Jeremy and I'm like, there's like a real chance that when we go back home, the next project we land isn't going to be VR. Yeah. And we're not going to be doing this every minute of every day. And is that something you want? He's like, hell no. I
2: was like, all
3: right, me neither. So let's figure out how we can do this full time. And that's when we started in earnest, you know, I think deciding we were going to do this and lots of other factors came into it, but that's like easily the, you know, the most positive and, good reason to do it. Right. Was like, Hey, we love it. And we think we're pretty okay at it. Um, and we have a lot of fun doing it and we can't imagine doing it any other way. So, yeah, you hit on a couple of things I want to dig deeper on. One of them is it it does seem like this magical
0: time, particularly in the vive community Mm -hmm. where stuff is going up every day. There's like, you know, small dev teams that are doing really innovative, crazy ideas, you get these early access games that are really just a, a snippet of, of some idea that's not fully fleshed out, but they're really interesting and you kind of get in on the ground floor. It feels like the wild West a lot, particularly on the vibe. Is that the sense that you have as well?
3: No, it's totally the sense. And it's, you know, that's also one of the reasons we wanted to do this now was um, it, the funny thing is, is, it was actually part of the inspiration was um, a speech from Carmack of all people where somebody was saying to him, it was like a graduation ceremony. I have my details there. They're a little sketchy, but the the gist of it is a, like a college age kid, you know, this is just like last year, right? Or this year, even it seems like it was last year Um, was saying, Hey, you know, like, what's it like being there on the ground floor of that PC gaming movement when you guys formed ID and made Wolfenstein and doom, like nothing like that's ever going to happen again. And I'm kind of jealous. And he was like, I have to stop you right there because something like that is happening right now. Yeah. And you're just not aware of it. And it's VR right. that this is it. This is the wild west. This is people working out of their basements and their garages. And if you have something new and innovative and special, it's going to get noticed. This is the time to be the breakout hit. And that startup can become something You know, that turns into ID or that turns into Apple or turns into Microsoft or, you know, and I'm not saying we're that I'm not saying we're going to ever be that big. But I always say, like, you only have one launch here and this is the launch here. Mm -hmm. And we had an opportunity to sort of like make a splash. And we were like, if we don't take our shot now, we're never going to take this shot. This is like the best chance we have of this happening and going well for us. Yeah. The other thing you brought up,
0: uh, which was sort of your conversion story, right? You're uh, going from a, a doubter of the tech to a to a believer. And I think, you know, everybody recognizes that as the challenge. You know, I think people feel like they've been burned with wee waggle and 3D yep. TVs. And, I, you know, I always say that those are not the same thing at all. It's not, uh, those aren't comparison points. This is a completely different kind of experience. But, mm-hmm. you know, aside from Getting people to try stuff. How do you how do you uh,
3: deal with that challenge of winning people over to the tech? Yeah, it's a slow process. the The only thing you can do is put somebody's face in successful VR. Yeah. Um, the one thing I like to to impress upon people that I think indies are are owning way better than anybody else out there is we have to be great ambassadors to VR. Um, and by that I mean you can't get away with. Um, dropping frame rate you can't get away with acceleration nausea from pawn movement of the player right Mm -hmm. um there's lots of things that we are slowly learning about now that are like look these should be big no-nos especially for people's first take in vr i mean look what happened to me when i was like i hate this i don't want to do this anymore i mean i was actually saying vr is not for me and i was wrong because i was given not ideal experiences as you know my first VR opportunities. And so, you know, the, the way to get people into VR is to put them in good VR mm-hmm. um, first, right? Like well, I find gentle. It, I find it uh, interesting that that
0: uh, with, with your game, Island 359, you you empower the end user with a lot of sliders in the options. And mm-hmm. s- some other developers have not taken that that course. They've, you know, kind of protected the gamer from screwing it up for themselves. Can you yeah. describe that
3: decision for you to do that? Yeah. Well, we, first we hit it behind, you know, like two button inputs to get there. Right. was Mm -hmm. that's kind of like a good enough gate that I feel like the majority of users aren't messing with those sliders. Um, and even our movement system, we said, you know, we really like that sprint system the most. Um, it's the most gentle yet exhilarating yet familiar way to move around an environment for a first time user. Mm -hmm. And, um, We, we even had a giant decision matrix the first time we put it in there where before you even moved, we were like, Hey, what kind of movement do you want? And what we found was like, we're asking somebody to make a decision based off of zero information and you Mm -hmm. can't do that. Right. So we hit it and we make you do the move first. We teach you sprint first. And then when that's done, we say, did you like that movement? Yes or no. And if you say no, then a decision matrix pops up because now you have to decide, right? Yeah. We're not going to pick it for you. Do you want to teleport, you know, do you want to teleport on the point controller? Um, and we actually have a thumbstick movement system that we're working on right now that um, we've gotten a lot of requests for that um, we initially were sort of like against it, but either we got VR legs or, you know, we're learning enough to how to do it and not make people nauseous that we're considering putting it in as another option, but it'll never be the first option. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the other stuff like the graphic sliders and things like that, um, you know, those are things that Unreal makes easy for us to make available to players. And um, you know, we're neither Jeremy or I are programmers. So the idea of like, well, let's pull your hardware and figure out what your hardware is at and then adjust the graphics according to your hardware A, that's like a really foreign concept to us, and we're not sure how to do that through the Blueprint system in Unreal. And B, even that will get wrong. Uh, We're finding, we get users who are like, I have a 1070 card and I'm dropping frames. Like, your guy's game isn't performant." And what we're finding is we're like, you know what, actually, no, you might just have bad drivers. Mm. um, That, you know, we know that we don't drop frames on a 970 card, uh, you know, due to GPU performance anyway, right? Right. And so we're like, let's just let the user do what they want with the graphics and they can decide. And then we'll let that, you know, we'll save that off so that they can save those settings Mm -hmm. Um, because that way they know that they don't have to make themselves nauseous. If they like, you know, if they have a 1080 but they've got driver issues or something's going wrong, then put it back on medium for now so that you get good frame rate. Right. Yeah. Until you can solve those issues and then go ahead and crank your graphics later. Uh, and again, we just we hid those behind a couple of menus. Like the first settings menu, you get to it's just very simple, like you know, low, medium, high, and epic settings. Yeah. And then, if you want to dive in even further, you can mess with your screen sampling. You know, you can mess with the foliage or the you know the post effects or any of indi- the individual settings. You can you can crank or lower. Yeah, you can really make the game look real pretty. That's yeah. for sure. yeah. It's I. It, jeremy always yells at me he's like take the 1080 card out we need to test performance i'm like but it looks so nice with the 1080 in and everything cranked up
0: yeah yeah i also love the touch of uh you know pull the bucket to your mouth if you feel if you want to skip the motion stuff <laughs> i thought
3: that was pretty clever that was yeah like so even though yes we have buttons in vr for our menus there's it eventually you're going to have to make something and in interact uh that's a menu interact but you know, we needed a way to let people either skip the intro chopper ride or, you know, we did have like less than 1% of players said like they were getting nauseous on that chopper ride. And, you know, like I keep saying, we have to be good ambassadors to VR. So how do we make it so that they don't get sick? And I totally stole the exit burrito from our friends at job simulator. I was just like, you know what, that was brilliant. (laughs) And you know what, I'm just going to give you a puke bucket on the chopper because it, 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 it solves both problems. One, it blocks your view of what's making you nauseous right? when you hold it up to your face. And then if you hold it up long enough, it's like, okay, you really don't want to see this. We'll just skip the whole ride. And it becomes that skip button. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of what makes VR, I think, so special is that we can start doing things that are familiar interacts to people that aren't like press A to continue. right? right. Um, and those are really fun to discover and figure out.
0: So you guys right now are exclusive to Vive. Clearly Vive was the dev kit that, that got you sparked into this whole endeavor. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's your take on the, the splintering of the VR market of, of the the different headsets that are out. Do you intend to to support multiples? Do you think having competition in the marketplace is a good thing for such a nascent, you know, small emerging market? What do you think?
3: Um, Yeah, it's, that's such a tough thing to wrap our heads around. Like we're, we know we're eventually gonna to. We know we'll eventually get this game out on touch. It's just like where is that gonna fit in our timeline? Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that Unreal Four makes kind of easy for us to do. It supports touch really well. Um, obviously, that since they made Bullet Train for touch and they're doing uh, Robo Recall right yeah. for touch, so there's really great hooks already in there. Um, to pull off of that's, it's just a matter of like, there's a lot of user experience stuff that we have to do. It's not a matter of mapping buttons. It's like we're a 360 experience and we have to map the game to a kind of 180 uh, experience is the preferred, you know, method for touch. They are going to support room scale, but even that room scale thing is like, well, the touch controls are already a peripheral technically, at least at launch to the Oculus HMD. And then the room scale camera is a peripheral to touch, right? right? So it's like, really, how big is that market going to be? Probably not, you know, obviously it's not going to be as big as Vibes market, like hands down, room scale touch, just doing the math. But you can certainly play
0: your game just standing
3: in one spot. Um, I actually have. Um, and uh, like, I have played the game on touch um, and uh, it, it works. It's just, we need to do a lot of... Just like I said, the user experience, right? Like mm-hmm. the almost like the making it easier for the user to be successful type stuff. Like right. how do you rotate 180 in VR if you can't turn around in real life? 180 things like that we have to figure out. So it's it's definitely like you know one of those nuts we have to crack. Um, and we're we're like thinking about it and working on it in the background, sort of a thing between you know updates. But um, the things like PSVR, while it's an incredible, you know. Um, just VR thing in the marketplace. Like I, I've heard everybody say that they think it's going to be the most successful thing. They're probably right. Um, just because of the way it's positioned, you know, it's the it's the most complete slash cheapest slash ubiquitous VR system out there. The potential for it is certainly large. Right. Um, but for indies, like, um, we're talking to all of our friends in the industry who have put their product out on PSVR. Um, it's like just the TRC requirements of shipping on console are way stricter than on PC. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, we would have to hire up, I think to do like a PSVR port. Uh Um, but the, uh, it's, I'm not ruling it out. It's definitely something that I think, you know, down the road, it's something that we would like to look into. It's just not on the cards for us at the moment. Um, but one of the challenges, I think, for the market, and obviously this, I can't solve this. I don't know who solves this. I think part of the problem of why VR isn't taking off as explosively as some of us hoped it would, you know, like yourself or, mm-hmm. you know, people who are really into it, right? That have tried Vive and they've tried Oculus Touch and they've they've been like, look, trust us. This is amazing. You're going to want this. Right. Is part of it, it's like twofold. One is there's a lot of this like, oh, but just wait for... AR, guys, AR is going to blow your socks off. And even things like Tim Cook at Apple have said like, look, VR is neat, but AR is going to be way cooler. And it creates a chilling effect on sales. And it's really frustrating because like you can have magic in your eyeballs right now. Um, And if it interests you, you should go buy it because it's amazing. And it's only going to get better. Like AR, the Tango, I think is the first true AR, AR consumer device out there. Right, mm-hmm. and I literally know no one who owns one who had to buy one. <laughs> right, I have a friend who did some AR apps for it, and they're very cool. Um, but the market for that thing has to be like microscopic, yeah, in scope. And you know, I keep hearing things about like, oh, but Magic Leap, and I'm like, Magic Leap has got to be like five years out. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not even it's not even ready. So why are we why are we trying to like push VR down when it's one of the most magical experiences you can have interfacing with a computer right now. Um, And on top of even the AR argument is this whole, like, I feel like there's so much brand confusion in VR right now that people are just waiting to see who wins and like who the top dogs are, because it's not just Vive and Oculus and PSVR. It's like, everybody and their mom announces a new headset. It seems like every other week, right? Like there's that Microsoft headset that they announced, um, you know, and people are like, but Oculus has that other headset. That's going to be inside out tracking or wireless tracking or whatever it was. And, you know, so what should I wait for that? Or should I buy it now? Or yeah. Like, and what even, should I do?
0: even people that ask me, you know, I have all three of the major headsets and people right. are like, which one should I get? And I go, it's not an easy answer. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, well, how much room do you have? What kind of PC do you have? Cause maybe if you just have a PS4, maybe you should just get a, you know, the Sony one. Cause that's easier. It's, it's a complicated question. There's no clear best in class. Right. Right. And, and I think that's hard too. And you know, it's, I, people turn to me and I have no clear answer for them.
3: Yeah. I mean, I feel like I I feel like there is a best in class, but there's a there's like a disclaimer on there, right? Which is like is money an object for you? Right. Right. And if it's yes, then okay, well let's talk about PSVR. Right? Then it's like do you have a PS4? But for people like my friends who are like, "Look, I'm convinced. I think VR is hella rad. What should I buy?" I just tell them straight up, go get a VR ready PC and go buy a Vive. Yeah. Um, that, but it's I'm like, like well, but if, do
0: you have room? Do you have, do you have a space in your, in your office or wherever you're in a place, this thing? Yeah.
3: I mean, I feel like for Americans, at least most Americans do have the room because it, because it, your volume can scale, right? Like you can get, <clears throat> you can still enjoy Vive in a, you know, a three and a half foot by three and a half foot volume, right? That's Which true. isn't, which isn't that big. Um, and, you know, that's that's technically just standing scale VR. You can take like a half step in either direction. Um, but the, you know, the nice thing is that you still get the 360, you know, effect of it that you can just keep rotating all the way around. And, yeah. And that is um, huge.
0: Like I, I, you know, now that I'm playing with touch uh, so much more, uh, I'm realizing that when I turn my head all the way around and the game goes, I forgot where you are. It's like, Oh, that, Oh, I, I kind of just assumed because I've been playing so much Vive I just I just took that for granted. Yeah, and uh, it is a yeah. huge
3: deal. Yeah, it's really hard, right? Like, um, I, you know, I always I always joke that like if we're going to call it virtual reality, I should be able to do the basic movements that I can do in reality, which is right. turn around in three sixty. Yeah, like um, I really feel like that's one of the. If we had to list, like, what are the, what are the corest components of successful virtual reality? I feel like being able to turn all the way around. is one. Um, See your hands is two, right? Any kind of representation of your hands is two. Um, And then having, you know, quality frame rate has got to be three, right? So, um, and, you know, a lot of the stuff out there, um, you know, because of the limitations of design or whatever, um, don't quite hit that yet, which is why I was really excited when Oculus said, we're going to at least support room scale. Um, That was at least like, okay, well, Hopefully, everybody can get to room scale then <clears throat> and see what it's like. Yeah, because um, it's definitely worth it. Oh man,
0: it's been so fun talking to you. I could I could talk to you for hours. Um, tell tell uh, listeners uh, about your game, how they can find your game, and and uh, about you and how they can follow uh, CloudGate.
3: Okay, so Island um, Three Five Nine is a game currently for the HTC Vive. You can find it uh, at Steam, uh, downloadable there. The, uh, you're going to run around a jungle. you're going to shoot dinosaurs either with guns or you can hunt them uh, in a, like a stealthy mode with your bow and arrow. We've got some other modes coming. Uh, we're still in early access and we're updating it on a fairly regular basis. And um, Cloudgate is currently right now. Um, the two people you can follow from Cloudgate are uh, Jeremy, who is, I think he's the gerranator on Twitter. <laughs> and um, you can follow Cloudgate Studio itself um, at Cloudgate Studio. Uh, On both Twitter and Facebook. And I'm just on Twitter as at Gamism. Uh, It's without the dash, and it's based off of an old website I used to run about game design (coughs) and culture and things like that. So um, that's basically us in a nutshell. Cool.
0: Well, I really appreciate you being here, man. It's been great talking to you. And uh, best of luck with the game.
3: Hey, thank you so much for uh, having me on. Absolutely. Right now,
0: right now. I am joined by one of my favorite people on the internet. Uh, You know him from the Little Metal Dog Show, which is just about to do its 100th episode, which is a pretty big deal. And uh, the new Little Metal Empire with YouTube channels, all kinds of stuff. Michael Fox, welcome back to the show.
4: Oh, bless you, sir. Bless you. I mean, you make me sound like some sort of amazing media mogul when nearly I'm just a dude in my second bedroom surrounded by boxes and
0: lights. <laughs> well, that's that's the new media landscape, sir. You're doing it right. Ah, that's, we, how it, that's how it's done. We aim to please. We aim to please. <laughs> so I want to talk about board games mm. uh, where, where, you know, we're coming up on the end of 2016, mercifully, 2016 is ending. And, uh, and just, you know, it might be a, a hard year in a lot of, a lot of respects, but for board games, it's been a pretty darn good year. Mm. And I wanted to hear, uh, you know, your, your, some of your highlights of, of games that have come out this year that you've really enjoyed uh, over 2016.
4: Matt, you are definitely correct, Jeff. There's just so many amazing games that have come out over the last 12 months. But so, At this time of year, obviously, you know, we we are humans. We love to sort of chapterize things. And we like to, you know, you'll see so many top tens everywhere. But with the world of board games, of course, we get this huge bunch of releases in, like, November into December. And it becomes this insane rush of trying to get as many of them played to see if you can possibly maybe include them on your top ten. And, yeah, it all gets a bit – it all turns into a bit of a weird rush. Um, So – all of my recommendations, anything that we'll probably talk about on, you know, for now, give me three months and they could totally change. But this isn't to say right. that you know the, the stuff that we're going to talk about isn't good because you know that as you said, it's been an amazing year for games. Some incredible stuff has been released that I've gone back to again and again and again. But man, yeah, this this last couple of months of the year just turns into and here's a pile of excellent stuff for you to also right. consider.
0: Yeah. It seems like 2015. It was the talk was all about pandemic legacy and mm-hmm. time stories, right? Mm. Those were two th- sort of the big dogs, um, and I feel like this year. And you can correct me if you have a different impression, but it, it feels like the games that sort of fit in the the big buzz for the for the hobby gamer world is uh, Terraforming Mars mm-hmm. and Scythe
4: i am yeah totally inclined to agree i mean terraforming mars i was actually lucky enough to play that about oh blind about two and a half years ago now um so wow. before i moved to the states a friend of mine signed up at essen uh to be one of the fricks uh, fricks games testers for the uh original terraforming mars because they were going to um, entirely do it themselves self-produce and the whole whole nine yards and we got to, before I moved over, I stayed with them for a while and we played that game into the ground. Um, you know, cause that's what playtesters do. You know, we, we right. try and br- essentially break it as much as possible, but that game was solid from the very, very beginning. You know, what you, what we played two and a half years ago and what is now hitting people's tables around the world is, mar- you know, marginal changes, but that game is excellent. And the reason it's got so much hype, I think it, it's, it's well deserved. Um, it's a great yeah. game an incredibly well put together Euro that the boys had been working on it for absolutely ages anyway. And then, you know, you bring stronghold games in who seemingly can't do anything wrong at the minute because they're, they're responsible right. for actually my, my, my game of the year, um, which
0: we'll talk about shortly. Um, I can't wait to talk about that one. Cause uh, yeah, <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that.
3: Yeah. Uh,
4: but yeah, it's um it, it's, it's a wonderful game. Absolutely cracking. And, I'm delighted to see, you know, the Fr- the Fricks brothers are, are basically, you know, they're, they're just a bunch of of weird brothers who live in Northern Europe and make amazingly deep games that they love. And it, it was excellent to see, you know, Stronghold sort of jump in and go, all right, we're going to, you know, put the little bit of shine on this and, and make it even better. And I, I, I actually haven't had... um Anybody who's played it, you know, say anything bad about it. I'm, mean, you know, obviously there, there there are haters out there for any game, it doesn't matter what it is. But uh, yeah, I, I I absolutely love it, and it still, you know, hits my table at least. Oh well, at least every sort of couple of weeks at the minute. So yeah, it's still a good sign.
0: I'm definitely jealous because I haven't I haven't had a try to, uh, chance to try it yet, but um, I'm anxious to anxious to try. I, I have played uh, Scythe and mm. was really impressed by that. I think. Um, Jamie Stegmeyer is, is uh definitely one of the designers that I really enjoy. His his the complexity and sort of finding simple ways to be complex if that makes sense yeah uh, and, yeah that uh, does. i was very impressed with that game
4: yeah i mean i i've only played scythe once um but my my time with it at the table was certainly enjoyable i mean it, it's a very sort of imposing looking thing when you crack it open and right. especially if, if you're one of the folks who went for like you know the big deluxe version of it um there's just so many bits to consider and so many working parts you've all got your like individual player boards with like nine million wooden pieces and it's just like oh crap oh my god do uh but then when you actually boil down to it it's it's a relatively straightforward game but the decisions that you make in it are they're very important you know they if you sort of choose to do the wrong thing at the wrong time you can potentially screw yourself up for the entire game uh but that doesn't mean that it's yeah. you know it's a, a bad title in, in any way shape or form it's an excellent game uh i just want i just want to play it more if i could just find a copy somewhere that'd be cool <laughs>
0: All right, so uh, I, you know, I asked you for your suggestions, and then I, and then I supplied you with my own. So I, hmm. I feel bad about that. So hit me with the ones, uh, you know, throughout the year that that you've uh, f- figured as your as your highlights.
4: I mean, there's been so many of them, um, but a, a few sort of choice selections. Uh, I, I, I want to give my first nod to uh, the folks at Level Ninety Nine Games for Millennium Blades, uh, which if you mm-hmm. have not tried, if you are a fan of any kind of collectible card game in any way, shape, or form. This is, this is something that should hit your table. So the, the idea is it's set this, in this game seems intimidating to me. It, again, again, <laughs> I'm very it looks intimidating because there's so much bloody stuff in there. Um, but for yeah. folks listening, it's, it's essentially a, a year's worth of professional collectible card game tournament play in a two hour tabletop game. Um, so it's set in this <laughs> weird parallel universe where, Instead of Gutenberg printing the Bible for his first thing, he decided to make a freaking CCG. And right. the world sort of spins off into this weird thing where you, you, rather than having, you know, amazing Hollywood stars, you have these incredible gamers who are like, you know, lauded and, you know, thro- millions of dollars thrown in their faces. And yeah, you know, you do the whole sort of like buying booster packs and cracking them open and trading the rares and, and then. At the end yeah, of you're not
0: actually buying booster packs like no. a, like a person is. You're in, inside the game. Yeah, you are buying fake booster packs with your fake money in the game. Like it's mm-hmm. it's so meta. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and and and
4: the, you're throwing down like these big. You know, wads of cash, literal wads of cash that you spend like an hour and a half before you even begin playing, <laughs> like building these wads with like the the, the sort of uh, the, the wrap around it, just chucking them across the table. Um, so you, you're buying these cards. Um, there's I, I think there's something like thirty, maybe forty different um blocks in the game. You know, card sets in the game, and they have their own uh rarity levels. So there's uh, they they uh, they eschew the whole sort of commons and uncommons. But you know, you're looking at uh rares and mythic rares and all that sort of stuff. And and essentially, you're just trying to streamline and hone your deck to be the very very best thing it can be and rather than sort of like going through an actual tournament and sitting across the table from somebody and and you know just trying to beat them th- the cards that you have will interact with each other but will also have an effect on the other players at the table and it's just this once you wrap your head around it it becomes this beautiful and wonderful gaming experience that Uh, yeah initially i was terrified by it because it's just you open it up and it's just cards hundreds and hundreds (laughs) of cards it's just like i have no idea why any of this is going to work uh but man it's beautiful once 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 you get your head around it it's just a a glorious gaming experience
0: so again that's called millennium blades Mm -hmm. uh and and we mentioned terraforming mars uh what's next on your hit list
4: Uh, Okay, so this one is a little bit hard to get at the moment, but there is a new print run of it coming very soon uh, from the folks at Thunderworks Games, uh, a game called Roleplayer. Have you seen this?
0: Yes, I was a Kickstarter uh, for this game. Really, really cool. Yes.
4: It's it's utterly awesome. Um, So yeah, if if you're one of those people who, before you do your D&D campaigns, you like to spend hours and hours you know carefully hand crafting your character you know giving them this illustrious backstory and just oh so you know so much detail so much depth this this ain't the game for you um it's just <laughs> you it, it's it's a dice rolling game about making essentially rpg characters and the first time i saw it i i went this this could either really really work or it could just completely tumble and fall on its backside um mercifully it works brilliantly um if you boil it all down it's a dice manipulation game um you have various sort like stats you're given a bunch of cards at the start of the game that will give you targets that you need to uh, get your dice totals up to you get a little bit of a backstory in there as well and uh yeah it's all about sort of like rolling dice manipulating dice uh there's a little bit of a, a, a almost a, not an auction, but sort of like, you know, a lot of decision making, uh, to be done on should I get this die, which I'm going to need? Cause they're all the dice are different colors, which represent different, um, uh, different abilities. And it's just, Oh my goodness. There's so many decisions to make. But again, it boils down to once you play it, a quite straightforward experience and it's gorgeous. Um, th- it also plays out in like 30 to 40 minutes and, there's something yeah. to be said for like you know a a a game that doesn't outstay its welcome at the table um and, and because yes,
0: absolutely it, i mean
4: you you could sit down and play millennium blade for like you know 3 hours and that's great you know it's it's a completely different experience to sitting down and playing role player um if if role player was any longer yes i think it would be uh i i i think it would be a bit too much but it's just this this gorgeous bite-size character creation engine essentially and and i would love to see somebody just Take a step further and like take this whole game and say, "All right, now you've made your character. Off you go into a world and play an actual RPG. It'd be lovely."
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's cool. I, I think it would be a particular note to to the people that listen to this show that are maybe just video gamers and you've had that experience of you know rolling up a character in a role playing game. Uh, this is that experience, but gamified. It's a really mm-hmm. clever concept.
4: Mm-hmm, definitely. um Other shouts. Uh, we got to give a. Um a bit of a call i think for uh, the networks i know i know you love your your television your uh, your media yes and uh, the networks is uh, from formal ferret games and again uh, this was another like big kickstarter success uh, gil hover's the designer he also runs formal ferret and uh, you are you are playing as as tv network uh you know, runners. You 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 own a network, and you're trying to get the best TV shows, and uh, it, it it becomes this beautiful Euro game of you know trying to get the best daftist shows, none of which have anything to do with any real television programs on the uh, on on any channel anywhere. Really, I promise. No, it's, the entire thing is all parody. It's lovely. <laughs> um, RuPaul's in there, for God's sake! It's brilliant. And uh, there's, uh, yeah, yeah. So you're trying to get the best stars. You're trying to, uh, you know, get get advertisers to jump on board and give you more money, that kind of thing. And you're, you're building this engine to make uh, to to maximize the amount of viewers that uh, you have at any given time. So you know, you can if you think a show is going to turn into uh, a, a you know, something not so good over the next couple of seasons. You can chunk it out and, and stick something else in its slot, get a new star in there. And, uh, but yeah, it, it, it turns into a game of maximization, you know, and, and trying to use what you have to be the, uh, to be the very best that, uh, that's available to you. And it, it, it's a glorious, beautiful Euro game of that also happens to look incredibly daft because the art is just, Oh, it's stunning. The, the, the arts are done by a guy called Heiko, who, uh, has, has done some incredible stuff. He also did another version of uh, glory to Rome a few years ago that got a lot of plaudits. Uh, but this right. is, it, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful, com- you know, comedic and, and lovely and wonderful. Um, so yeah, that's definitely recommended.
0: Another example of, of a great original theme, you know, the, not having to dip back into the same well that we always go to. Um, I do want to get your, your thoughts just, it just occurred to me to ask you about mm. this. Uh, because a lot of people have emailed me about Kingdom Death Monster uh, kind of crushing Kickstarter right now. <laughs> uh, you know, it's up to, I think, 7 million as we're talking. Maybe more. I haven't looked recently. But have you played Kingdom Death Monster 1.5? Uh, or Do you have an opinion about this whole phenomenon?
4: Frankly, I, okay, so I haven't played it um, simply because... Like I said at the top of this, you know, I'm sitting in a second bedroom surrounded by boxes. I I ain't got the money for that kind of thing. Um, but you know, it it <laughs> I I think the a big draw behind it is you know a, a lot of people are are liking the game system, which is great. But we seem to get a a Kickstarter every year that generally has a whole bunch of of, of minis and stuff or whatever. But the, we we always get one every year that just explodes um and and you know we, we mm-hmm. as we've had over the last couple of years, you know the exploding kittens of course did insane a while back um but yeah kingdom death monster i right. i I think they've just done it, it, it the right place at the right time, and by having you know a solid gaming yeah. engine and then just chucking so much amazing stuff on top of it, because you know it, 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 what you're getting there, yes, you're spending a fair chunk of money on it, but my God, you're getting a awful lot of good stuff with it as well.
0: So let's get to the, let's get to your your game of the year. This is a mm. game that uh, I really didn't have on my radar until I heard you talk about it, <laughs> which uh, made me immediately go look to see if I could buy it. And uh, it's like up to like ninety dollars secondhand, uh, really? on, on places out of stock everywhere. So I'm. Yeah, so I'm uh I, I I hope we're talking about the same game. Um it's what, <laughs> fruit? What's it called? Fabled uh,
4: fruit. Fabled fruit. Or if Fabled you're German. Fabled fruit, yes. Yeah, Please yeah, tell me about it. So if you're German, Fabelsaft. Um all right, so I am a big fan of Friedman Freest uh, designer of stuff like Power Grid, for example. Uh he did the 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 Fever Dream right. in a box that was 504 that was released uh last year. You know, five hundred and four different games in one box. Um some good, some genuinely right. terrible. Um but the the reason I like Friedman's stuff is because he's not afraid of going to a weird place, and and just coming up with you know new ideas, throwing them at a wall, and seeing what sticks. And um, with Fable Fruit, he 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 definitely did that in a beautiful way. So you know he he's seen how the gaming you know how the gaming landscape was done. We said at the top there, you know, twenty fifteen was very much about uh, pandemic legacy, and that whole you know games that evolve, games that change as you play, your experience you know moves from one point to a different point. And I briefly caught up with him over in Essen um, this past October, and we, we you know, had a quick sort of five-minute chat about what he wanted from Fable Fruit. And so rather it being a, a legacy game where you have components that get destroyed or written on or, you know, altered in some way, um, he wanted a game that you get that progression in, but you can always have the opportunity to reset. And it, it's called the Fable mm-hmm. System. And, uh, the idea behind it is, is very, very dumb as a game way. Um, you are animals in the jungle grabbing fruit and making essentially smoothies, which thematically is daft as anything. As one does. Of course. Um, but then you, you sort of right. like, you look at the game and it's like, okay, all right, let's, let's, let's do this. So the, the idea is, uh, when you start your first game and, 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 and it's a game that actively encourages, you know, multiple replays, especially in the same game session. So. Uh, You have, uh, at the very first game, you have six piles of four cards, each of which have a rule on them. So one of them might be, uh, you know, put your worker on this and take two fruit cards. So there is a separate deck of fruit cards that have five different fruits, each card representing one fruit. Um, So you go on there and you you take it and great, awesome. And then the next player, they put it on a different card and they do that rule if they go onto the same card as another player they have to give them a fruit card from their hand that kind of thing and blah 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 so then you're building up a little sort of hand of cards you know with lots of different fruit in there and at the bottom of all of these rule cards which are sort of tarot card size nice and big um there's a bunch of fruit and if on your turn you go to uh one of those those rule cards and you have that fruit you can trade it in you take that card you put it in front of you flip it to the other side and it has a bottle on it and, you know, depending on how many people are playing, you're looking to collect X amount of bottles. So in a uh, a three-player game, it's the first person to get four bottles wins the game. What makes it really, really interesting is that when you take one of those cards and turn it into a bottle of juice, um, you take another card from this giant stack, and it's, it's huge. You could, you know, throw it at a child and it will cause them damage. It's this insanely large thing that, again, has more rule cards in it Says so another four of the seventh set of rule cards and under that another four of the eighth set of rule cards so when you take a card out of play you put another one into play so there's always going to be 24 cards in play doing something 24 cards that give you options to try and get more fruit and try and get more cards as the game progresses then once the once everything mm. is finished those cards that have been turned into bottles of fruit you essentially you discard them you put them in a bag you put them back in the box and you don't see them again in that playing experience and you you just sort of like see as the game starts off as quite simple and straightforward and it sort of holds your hand a little bit um which is why i really love it because you know new gamers you know people who uh who who may not be experienced and may you know frankly be a bit a little bit terrified of the weird things we play um they they sort of get it nice and easy they get eased into the experience and then when you sort of like played your third game your fourth game you're now on sort of like you know rules card 10 rules card 11 and things are markedly different you know things are getting a lot more cutthroat things are getting a lot nastier um But yeah, there's so much to love about this game. It's so cool. You know, My gaming experience, for example, my 10th game of it, is going to be completely different to your 10th game of it because if there's a card that you think is far too powerful, you're actively going to try and get the fruit you need in order to pull it out of the game so you never have to deal with it again. Um, If there's a card that you actively hate, same thing. Get rid of it. It's it's this glorious little work of genius that I am... I'm delighted to have it as part of my collection because, like I said, you you you're not destroying things. You know, this is not a legacy game. If you want to restart with a new group, you just you know shuffle the cards back into order again and start from scratch. Um, it's got a little sort of like chart on the back of it as well. So you know, say you're playing, you know, group A, you just write down how many cards are in play and what numbers they're from, and just start again. And oh man, it's just this beautiful, beautiful thing. And on top of that. This isn't the game that he wanted to make. He has a whole plan for another game for 2017 (laughs) that is apparently, you know, uses the same system, but is just huge. It's just this, this bigger, bigger, badder, better thing. And that makes me excited. That combination of this gloriously sort of like initially simple, but then, you know, Oh, increasingly complex as the game goes on game system just thrown into something else I, i'm i'm very very excited about it it's so so cool
0: oh man this is why i love having you on the show michael uh, your <laughs> uh, your enthusiasm is infectious and it makes me uh, all the more excited to to play more board games uh thank you so much for being on the show uh I, what great recommendations um tell people where they can find little metal dog show and all all of your content
4: no worries uh so yeah you can grab me um the easiest thing is see i am on twitter i am at idle michael i-d-l-e-m-i-c-h-a-e-l uh little metal Dog show is at little dot com and uh yeah that has uh, written reviews it's got links to the podcast episodes of course uh those got monthly next one has got an interview with the folks from uh, psychopathic records uh the insane clown posses um record label, but we're talking about their uh, their deck-building game, which is an experience. Oh, my. Um, on top of that, we've also got the, uh, the uh, YouTube channel. Oh, dude, it's so good. Um, we've also got the YouTube channel, which uh, is Little Metal Television, and there's uh, videos going up on that every week. It's not just board games. We, it's me and my wife also playing through ridiculous Japanese video games, um, doing terrible, terrible voices as we try to woo people of many different uh many different stripes. Um so yeah, any uh any, any any weirdness you want to check out, please. We've got it. It's all good.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for being here, man. All right, that's going to do it for this week's DLC. Christian and I and all of our guests wish you a hearty happy holiday. Hope you're having a wonderful time with your loved ones. And uh, we will be back next week with more gaming goodness. Until then,